Hey everybody, we are Francis, Martin, and Robert, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 71. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis, sitting in the captain's chair. This time around, we're going, you probably noticed that the graphic for this episode is back to green. We haven't done this in almost over a year. Because we're talking of philosophy this time, or a philosopher in particular, Karl von Clausewitz, uh, German. Yes, we might slip into some German accents here and there, boys. But it's uh, not cultural appropriation. Not at all. Not at all. We won't do that. No, we don't. Do that. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk the about remnants of a certain type of childhood. Well, that's correct because the, you heard this in all the movies growing up that this horrible German accent in all those war movies. But we'll go we're not going to go far afield because we've got some business to take care of first. Yes. Martin. First a quick salute uh, listeners uh, as we record this uh, just I guess a week or so ago we've gotten the very sad news that Chadwick Boseman has passed away from cancer. And uh, I can tell you, snakes and otters, snakes and otters loves Chadwick Boseman. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yes. Very, very young, forty-three, three, forty-three. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Anybody younger than me is very young. Yes. <laughs> yes. And um, you know, he, we love uh, Panther. What a great character that yeah. Black Panther is. We loved him long before he was in the movies. Folks. He was a, a great yes. foil, often to. Uh, Stark in the comic books, uh-huh. he was a character of moral clarity. Correct, in the comic books. an enormous intellect. Uh, I'd say moral certainty was probably yes. a better way to put it. Yeah. Moral and, certainty, and I think that came on very well in, in Chadwick Boseman's portrayal. Of exactly. Uh, he also, you know, he he did other great characters. His, his Jackie Robinson is, is hailed as as one of the the greats. So we are going to miss Chadwick Boseman a great deal again. T'Challa, Very much. He, he embodied T'Challa on the screen. And mm-hmm. we know that that film and that character didn't mean a, a, just a ton to comic book fans like us, but to a whole segment of, of the U.S. population yes. uh, is a blockbuster superhero film with it. a predominantly black cast right. that he was at the head of. So we know it was a... A cultural touchstone, and that uh, as right. an actor, and all he, that money that he made, that that movie made, wasn't just African Americans going to see that. That movie was popular with everybody. That is everybody. correct. Yes. Well, yeah. the idea of Afrofuturism uh, was brought, made popular by that movie. It was something uh, Kirby did this in you know in the yes. '60s. So this was uh, talk about July 1966. Exactly. The first appearance was an issue that I will probably almost never certainly. Pick up now because of, because it was the <laughs> because month. of that damn movie. That's right because it was the month and year that you were born. It's, yes, uh, you were as old as Black Panther. Yes, no, yes, that's, yeah, that's, that's not a bad. Thing. Technically, he's a little bit older because the cover date is actually a few months after the actual publication date. Well, but that's okay. all right. That's all right. It's close enough for government. It's close work, enough for say. government work. Yes, that's exactly right. So uh, we'll raise a glass to uh, the great Chadwick Boseman. Uh, what the future uh, holds for the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe because of this, nobody knows. Yeah, we yeah. could do a whole episode on that but we don't have time but, but uh, yeah, now we mourn uh, the man yeah I, I, again a great great character brought to life incredibly by Chadwick Boseman and I was really looking forward to more Panther movies because they, they were it, that character you could do almost anything with and Jack Kirby did that's right uh, and many others after that, him too I had right. Black Panther number one from the 70s when 
Uh, yes, Kirby relaunched Kirby returned, it. yeah. And, uh, and, and it was good stuff, and you could do almost anything with that character. So, fans, uh, you know, we're right there with you. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever, yes. Our condolences to Mr. Boswick's family, of course, and all those that worked with him. Uh, you've probably seen some of the tweets by some of the co-stars. Chris Evans had a particularly moving uh uh, almost would bring you to tears, and this is not bad for you know about 140 or so characters. Uh, it, it, he was he was indeed a giant, and he will be very much missed. <sighs> okay. All right, get on to it, man. Let's, let's bon Clausewitz. Bon Clausewitz. The first thing we have to address, though, is why the heck are we talking about somebody that you may have only briefly heard of? We talk about almost everyone. We talk about almost nobody's heard of. That's true. <laughs> this is maybe not almost well, nobody. I mean, but I mean, you know, we talk about that's one of the great things about about our show. I think mm-hmm. is we bring out uh, people that maybe the general public doesn't know a whole lot about, and talk about why they're important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's this is this guy is definitely right there. In the right, and one of the reasons too that and we discovered this in recent <laughs> months, talking as we do episodes, as we do show prep, things like that. Philosophy philosophers are probably the core of what we do the red hot center of what we talk about that's always present and we and we kind of got to the idea wait a minute we should talk more about the greats and the giants that have done this these thought leaders throughout history and you know this is kind of our intention to kind of rebirth that so you'll see the green graphics more and more as we go forward uh in fact next month uh we're going to do nietzsche yeah. uh, so you know you'll see more of that because dang it's good because it's not just about learning history; it's about understanding history. That's right. And yes. to understand history, you have to start peeling away these layers and find well, who influenced that? Why did Why did people think that way? Right. It, it's exactly. Not, this is one of those guys. It's not dates and it's not events, uh, although they're related. It's not always personalities or relationships, although it's related. It's really about thought. Thought leaders, thinking, uh, philosophy—that's what we're talking about. That's what it means, you know, love of love of wisdom, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about. And why in the world we ended up with von Clausewitz to go first? I'm still not sure. Although we spent some time a year ago with Voltaire, and well, that yeah, kind of whetted yeah. our appetite. Yeah, we, we've done Voltaire, and then we've done some well, people who influenced American thought in um, well, we did Madison in Madison, and then we in talking about Madison, you. You can't do that without talking about Jefferson and Franklin. That's right. Um, and then we, you know, we've talked about uh, U.S. Grant. Well, that's correct. Who's influential um, as a military leader? In many respects, he he has he has a particular philosophy that we delved into. I mean, we've gone straight hard philosophy with Aquinas, even though it mm-hmm. was a he, he, heroes episode. So you know, we, we bleed a lot. Uh, well, we things. talk about philosophy in almost every single. That's episode. exactly right. And, I mean, you know, listeners- that's the secret. <clears throat> if if they haven't figured it out by now, our show we, we talk about pointless discussions about eternal questions. Boys, that's philosophy. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly that's that, that is the, the, the red hot center, the molten core, uh, the secret sauce of, of snakes and otters. I suppose if you wanted to hold us down, I and mean, what makes us great, it's the fact that we we recognize the greatness in this, and we want to share that with folks. Well. You know, we consider ourselves intellectuals. You know, not that we are great thinkers like an Aquinas, right? Because almost nobody's a great thinker like Aquinas. Yeah, but probably more so than most people we encounter, we like to think about what things mean. Sure. And you know, obviously, our our great love of history that that's 
you know, we like, as Martin loves to talk about, you can't understand how we got where we are or where we are until you look at the how and the people involved. That's right. Who got us to these stages. And, you know, if you look at what we've done, you know, granted we're, we're rabbit holing here, but we do that. when you yeah. look at all the things we have done uh, with history, with uh, heroes, there is a progression. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not linear in the sense that we, we went from ancient Rome to von Clausewitz in the late 1800s, but there is a pattern, mm-hmm. and you know we do tend to hit those 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 big big people, and there's certainly a, a ton left that we have yet to talk about. Uh, I think we actually I think we ended up with von Clausewitz to get back to our, our uh, is he came up in one of our uh, code of honor. Right. Uh, he, it, I believe so. It, yeah, I think it was the, my quote about, uh, uh, was it? Uh, uh, Von Moltke. Yes, yes. That, that's correct. He, he, it was, yes. That, that there was the connector. I was, that I was, was the connector, yes. Uh, in, the, in the quote about uh, the plan does not survive contact with the or, enemy. Or Mike well, Tyson. Everybody got a plan until they get hit in the face. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, that is Von Clausewitz. That's, yeah, I mean, Moltke actually appropriated that. And so much of what Clausewitz laid down is part of us today, and we just don't realize it. He is one of those giants of influence, and he only wrote one freaking book, and he didn't even finish it. Well, in the book is on war, for those who don't know. Right, Von Krieg in, in the original German, uh, not to not <laughs> to steal that. Uh, not the original Klingon, could have been, but no. Uh, the problem and first Star Trek reference of the episode. You know yeah, it's There coming. we go. We hit that one kind of early. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. You no, know that's coming. And you got it in. <laughs> that's right. I can tell you, though, that uh, one of the crit- criticisms, you know, not to jump ahead too much, is the fact that Von, uh, the German doesn't always translate as perhaps von Clausewitz would have intended. In fact, scholars have often criticized some of that, is that a faulty English or Russian or whatever translation of him leads to a Mm -hmm. very different interpretation of what he's trying to do. And only those who have really dug deep into him get what he really meant. Well, I've always taken, you know, some of the quotes that that you hear from him, uh, not all of which are accurate. That's right. The one about uh, uh, war is, is politics or policy, depending on your, your right. version of it, uh, just continued by other means. Uh, that's not necessarily an accurate it's quote It's not. Exactly. That's kind of where I was going yes, with this. You, you laid that out. Go we were going to talk. Yeah. But it, it, the thing is, because it wasn't just opening that for you, my point about him is, is that when you look at the things that he wrote, like much of what we talk about, it's not about the particular situation. You know, my quote from Code of Honor many months ago now uh, about uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy was not just about war. Mm-hmm. That's something I applied to everything. Mm-hmm. That is a that is truly a philosophical statement for mm-hmm. everyone's life. And you, you nail it exactly because that's Clausewitz. And that's von Clausewitz. Sorry. That is, if you look at what he's what he's written, you know, if you can't apply that to other areas, you aren't thinking hard enough, and you really shouldn't have to think that hard to do it. So, yeah, that's one of the great things about him. In fact, there was uh, it was it was seen as a military treatise at the time, and we'll talk a little bit about his bio and how we how he got there and why he did that. But there was another one that was written around the same time mm-hmm. uh, that absolutely fell out of favor because it was all about tactics and weapons and things like that, and it was like the standard for a while. 
if it has fallen off, you know, the, the turnip truck of history. Well, because tactics and weapons change. Exactly. Yeah. He is the he modern is, Sun Tzu. He is Sun Tzu a, is a is a, another book that is on philosophy because you can exactly apply right. that. Now, it, it is very much also about tactics and strategy. Mm-hmm. But from much more a philosophical sense, it's not about well, if you you know do this with ten thousand men yeah. using you know these yes. you know it's it's much more. A That's why we still study him. Yeah. And Martin, Martin, he's been trying to yes. he's been holding that finger up one yes. time. <laughs> well, I was going to hit uh, two things. Uh, you mentioned the competitor, the the rival. That man is Antoine Henri Jomini, and again, his book published around the same time is that more of a more of a. Uh, Playbook for war, it is rather than a uh, a reflection on war, right? But uh, time to hit the bio before we get too farther much down yeah. here. So he is um, a contemporary of the Napoleonic era. That's right. Yeah, and that's uh, uh, that's that's kind of the uh, the gasoline that fed yes. him his experience. Uh, he dies in eighteen thirty one, and he is a serving Prussian officer. So this is not a guy on the sidelines right. looking out. This is a fellow that's a, a real, true infantry combat veteran uh, of, of Prussia and even served in Russia. And pretty much his entire career is spent opposing Bonapartism and opposing Napoleon. Yeah, and he, he came up under Frederick the Great, which had its own military tradition. And Bonaparte was seen as... It wasn't just, it was a philosophical difference, again, mm-hmm. in the way things were done. I, I, before, you, before you continue, I just want to pop out that he left Prussian military service to serve in the Russian army when Prussia signed a yes. essentially a non-aggression pact with Napoleon. He said, frack that stuff. Uh, he said it in German, but you kind of know where I'm going with that. We're going to Russia, and tons of them did because they were still the only ones opposing yes, Bonaparte. I, they saw Napoleon as he was Thanos. But, uh, and very good, very <laughs> good. Was, yeah, he was to be opposed, yeah. uh, even if that meant joining up with the Russians, right. which was not an easy thing for a Prussian to do. Right. So, um, so yeah, that's the background. That's again that that stew that he's in is this. Napoleon's trying to take over the world uh, thing, and he's strongly opposed to it. And he is, a again, a serving real combat officer who sees real infantry oh, yeah. he combat. He starts in 1793 during the French Revolution, and he sees uh, combat all over the place. He's involved in the Waterloo Campaign, uh, battle, but when he's serving with Russia, he served in the enormous Battle of Borodino outside of Moscow. Mm-hmm. So he was, he, he's got the chops on all this, yeah. and he, he ends up as a major general mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah. And he actually was still, he was actually fairly young when he passed away. He dies of cholera yeah. during cholera a cholera epidemic. epidemic. And uh, we have to give a little credit to his wife, Marie, who publishes him posthumously. She's an intellectual of her own right. That's exactly right. Uh, good marriages are always yeah, are always And that's, that's the other key influential piece here is, again, in these dates, you are... Post Voltaire, that is correct. You are you are part of the Enlightenment. You mm-hmm. are uh, in this Hegelian age. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, that that's the stew in that he's an intellectual on one hand, but he's a serving real officer on the other, and oh. this is a smush together of these two influences. In fact, he had great contempt for those who did not live the experience. Yeah. Well, you you have to remember also, uh, you know. 
even though it is a relatively uh, common thing with a small number of generals today, after they retire, they write books. Uh, we don't get a whole lot of uh, famous generals so much anymore. Uh, uh, Schwarzkopf, perhaps, the most recent. Tommy Franks, yeah. Right, kinda, but that yeah. kind of proves my the, point. Exactly. Yeah. How <laughs> much time is between those two <laughs> Those guys. are the exceptions, that's you right. Know, and Colin Powell in between those two. Right. Yeah. Um, and when you look at... Uh, the time that von Clausewitz came from, if you were an officer, it's because you came from money. You know, you didn't, it, you didn't almost never rose from a peasant to a general. Uh, that, that's, you know, very unusual. Well, very unusual. In, in the Prussian tradition, uh, the French did some of that. Uh, well, everybody became a general in 1789. The, well, that's that's so, exactly. Yeah, the French actually brought that out a little bit. British, but no, but, but British Navy though, did that, but you're well, right. It was very well. The Navy is also a little is also different though, that's because correct. you know, other than a small number, if you were if you were rich, you didn't necessarily go into the Navy. You know, that was less common. Even though the Navy was the uh, you know uh, the the strength of the empire, uh, the British Empire. But still, my point it though is that. If you came from wealth, you were automatically going to be educated. You know, you were going to learn Latin and you were going to learn Greek as well as your own German and French. You were going to learn languages and philosophers and, you know, the, the kind of education that we think of today is nowhere near. You know, that would have been considered trade training uh, in many ways. You know, all of the, you know, they would have known mathematics, certainly, but not the kind of math that we do today. They would have known, uh, you know, they would have taken literature, but they wouldn't have, you know, it wouldn't have been, you know, to study grammar and things like that. It was definitely a different kind of education. Really, it was liberal arts education. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Which we three are beneficiaries of. Absolutely. Uh, So... And they were always encouraged to write, you know, and because people did write, you know, they wrote because this is also a time when even soldiers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, probably the first time, probably the nineteenth century is the first time, uh, late eighteenth century into the nineteenth, uh, into the nineteenth, when the common soldiers wrote a lot because they were mostly educated, because uh, yeah. that was very unusual uh, prior to the Enlightenment. Yeah, because the, not that the Enlightenment caused it, just it's. Happens to be living contemporary because it's not rel- it's not ancient for us. It's only you know within a hundred years or so. A lot of those things got collected, exactly. And some of that was things like Marie von Clausewitz realizing you know he's got some good stuff here. He he was always tweaking the book. Yes, uh, he 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 made numerous numerous changes with it over and over and over and over again. And so and yes, you can it's you can, not a consistent narrative. There are pieces later on where he was revising something that he did earlier. Yeah, because it's and, written over a stretch of time. And so and much, and he changes. Yeah. He evolves in his understanding. Sometimes you go, oh crap, you know, I, I I'm writing this now. This is the good stuff. Well, that's inconsistent with what I wrote before. Von Clausewitz scholars have tried to make some sense out of that. It's kind of I don't want to say it's embryonic. It's much more finished than that. But he's another one of the, you know, if he hadn't died, what would what would the final version have been? Yeah. You know, there's been that discussion because so much good stuff is here. I mean, you want to talk about quotations, well, boys. Probably see, that's probably the the his problem. Uh, he was looking for uh, a summa theologica. Yes, he was. That's right. But whereas now na- you know nowadays, rather than doing that, you would just publish volume one, volume two, 
yeah. volume three. And of course, make a lot more money at it because you know with each publication you get a new new book deal. Yeah, well, and the book actually is written that way. It's written to be had, had like it's not chapters. It's bigger than that. He calls them books, but there's right. several of those out yeah. there that you could have done that. Yeah, and there and you you alluded to the difficulty in fathoming all of this. That's part of the reason it's difficult. Is again this evolution. The other part that makes it difficult um, is the method. He used a dialectical method. Yes. Oh yes, that's a, a Thomas More was famous for doing this. It's uh, been done a lot. Yes. Dialectic basically means a conversation of opposing uh, points or statements. Right, and the the idea is that there's really three statements that make up a dialectic discussion. There's mm-hmm. you state one point, then your second statement is opposed to it. It's it's a statement of the opposite. And then the third statement is supposed to be a synthesis that makes sense out of those two opposing viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And that's the way von Clausewitz built all of On War. And that's, you know, part of the reason that it's so difficult to fathom this material. Um, well, because he kept changing. <laughs> yeah, that, that it, evolution. It is, it's, it's not a long book on the shelf if you look at it, but it really is. Uh, if you were to get a nice printing of it in a hardback, it'd be a little bit thicker because he just goes on and on and on and on about different things. And Robert, you're right; he's very much like Sun Tzu. Yeah, he, uh, very he, much. It, 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 a lot of these things are these are these are statements that he puts forth, and he, he'll take the contrarian position and then he'll reconcile. And that's where we, that's why he's so quotable because they're mostly bite sized, and that's where we get the idea of war as a continuation by politics by other means, which, of course, is a mistranslation, should be with other means. And, again, we're talking about this influence. Um, It's not just Western thought that's being influenced here. Oh. Right, because uh, you had mentioned uh, uh, previously uh, about how influence Mao and... Lenin. Uh, Lenin. Lenin was huge, and yes. you know it is. This is very much, uh, you know, this, the the dialectic and some of the things that is very much a communist uh, way of you know protecting the revolution, as we were talking about with with the French. Mao, he yeah. actually led a seminar for the leaders of the party in yeah. in uh, late 1930s, yeah. before the war was before World, World War II was even over, mm-hmm. uh, anywhere near being over. And so, uh, you know, he's very much a an influential person, not just, as you're saying, not just in the West. And he's influenced not just how to wage war, but how we prepare for war. That's right. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is the German, uh, the Germans are the ones who came up with the, uh, with a, with a, what we call a modern war college. Right. Yeah. A modern staff. We've talked about staff training. Yeah. Yeah. And from that war gaming, yeah. Yep. You know, as a matter of fact, there's a great quote uh, that I think is is probably the the source of that whole concept, uh, and this is from uh, uh, Book Three, Chapter One, uh, Volume One, pages eighty five to eighty six. Now, <laughs> granted, what publication version that is, I don't know, but Book Three, Chapter One: A prince or general who knows exactly how to organize his war according to his object and means, who does neither too little nor too much gives by that the greatest proof of his genius. But the effects of this talent are exhibited not so much by the invention of new modes of action, which might strike the eye immediately, as in the successful final result of the whole, 
It is the exact fulfillment of silent suppositions. It is the noiseless harmony of the whole action which we should admire and which only makes itself known in the total result. My God, there is so much there. It's like reading Benedict on theology because it is packed. Oh, absolutely. With meaning. So, you know, he's talking about, um, first of all, a prince or general because that's who, who waged war. Right. But talking about organizing the war according to his object and means. Doing not too much, not too little. Uh, basically, defining your objective and that's all you're doing. You're not going to, you know... You're not going to take Paris and then decide, well, let's take Madrid as well. You know, you have a very defined uh, objective. That's right. Defined victory. That, yes. Because, you know, it's one of the things that has that plagued us in Vietnam and in Korea. We had no definition of victory mm-hmm. other than, well, we don't want the communists to win. Well, that's playing not to lose. Right. Uh, you, can't, you can't win a negative. Exactly. And so all of this, you know, he's talking about admiring the, the end result. That's where, that's how you judge whether or not it was good. Does it achieve its result and whether or not it's admirable? Uh, you know, that is such a philosophical statement for life. You know, now for us, because we're about those eternal questions, whether or not the, uh, the, the total result uh, is successful or not, that, that is not the point because the struggle uh, is often... Uh, more important than the end result, mm-hmm. uh, theologically and morally speaking, because obviously, uh, you know, the end result is not always uh, perfectly defined. We can't always achieve perfect moral certainty. Yeah. And there's action. a presumption that the that the end result is a moral good. It, it, there is, but even the moral good we don't always achieve. That's right. I mean, that's, that's the good guys sometimes lose. You're exactly right. And one of the things that Clausewitz is so very good at is that he is accessible at all times and even via translation in all languages by anyone. You don't have to be a pointy-headed little intellectual to understand the, the, the droppings of Clausewitz. No. Well, but, but that's the primary criticism as well, even... Other military historians like Basil Adele Hart are saying that, you know, people completely misunderstood this because so much of it's quotable. Yeah. They would, he criticized especially the Prussian military establishment like von Mocha as all he did was glom onto these nuggets, these pieces uh-huh. of these dialectical arguments without understanding the dialectical arguments. And that's how we ended up on a road to. World War One and World War Two. Right. Well, but, and even some of the, yes. the 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 you know the stuff that is is not like the quote that I read. That's one uh, quote, and I think it's only two, maybe three sentences uh, all together. It was a relatively long quote. People are going to latch onto that first part, which is the prince or general who knows exactly how to organize war. Blah blah. blah is talking about is the greatest proof of his genius. Well, especially megalomani- megalomaniacs are going to latch onto that. And show, well, you know, if I can conquer somebody, I'm a genius. Yeah. You know, it's all about the, the elevation of self. But that is exactly the opposite of what von Clausewitz was saying with that. So right. that's a great You're uh, illustration exactly of that. right here because proof texting, and we know this, you know, it happens all the time with scripture or whatever else. You pull out what supports your position and you rearrange <laughs> it accordingly. Yes. And you can make von Clausewitz say, what, just like you can with many other things, exactly what you want him to say. Right, because the whole point of what he's trying to get to in these dialectical statements, again, using the 
politics or war is a continuation of politics with other means. Again, the, the, the pair that goes with that is war is an act of force to compel our enemy to do our will. That's the first statement. I'll, uh, continuation of by other means is the second. And the synthesis is, you know, it came out to be called what he is called his trinity. Right. His trinity is basically this violent emotion combined with elements of chance or randomness. Right. And a rational calculation. So the so someone's making a rational calulation that war will work. They're after after the jumping other two. up violent emotion for the fight, yeah. and then throw in the fog of war as it's as termed. It, yeah, which is this random this chance. random chance that weird things can happen. Yeah. Again, you know the horseshoe or the nail comes out of the horseshoe, the horseshoe comes off the horse. So for one of a horse, the battle is lost. Kind of idea. Well, that random chance, that's what war really is. That's what Clausewitz is trying to get to. Yeah, and you can only control one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, that, and that's very important. The, the final one you can control, and, but the other two you can't. You know, that, uh, that first quote, that's also one that is uh, very common, uh, that uh, force is you know, imposing our will. Upon yeah, yeah that's else. that's another piece of uh, that uh, that's quoted. very common. Uh, I want to say if it wasn't Patton, it was somebody. Uh, uh, I want to say during World War II that used that quote. Uh, uh, yes, uh, Patton was Patton and Eisenhower were both students of von Clausewitz. They, they oh, absolutely, were, they, they would yeah. have been. Yes, and that was part of their training, of course. But they believed it. They were very, very big into that. Yes. And of course, well, Patton was well read uh, with all the military histories, in particular, mm-hmm. and so was Eisenhower. Well, and if you think about when they were trained, they were trained pre World War One. Right. You know, they were trained in the nineteen tens, early nineteen late nineteen aughts. Yeah. Yeah. Early nineteen tens, because they were officers, serving officers when World War One came around in nineteen fourteen. Right. So, uh, and Patton, of course, was just dying to get over there, uh, so to speak. Uh, and but that was the era they came from. They came from that time that was very much formed by von Clausewitz. Yeah, you know, he was, talked about that was the first war that had that was run by General Saffs. Right, and he they were uh, von Clausewitz was the at the pinnacle of his influence at that time because there was nobody that came after him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was all the all the things that would form what came after had yet to occur because it came from World War One and World War Two, uh, and a lot of changes took place from that. I mean, we've talked about that before in our World War One episode how the world changed and philosophy changed. You can make an argument that World War One. Is the best example of cherry picking von Clausewitz Absolutely. Mm-hmm. and doing it poorly because right. it's probably one of the most ill executed wars ever because it's a four year stalemate. Yeah, for all sorts of reasons. Across, I mean, I don't remember what the the width of the the you know from the closest uh, approach to to uh, to uh, to Paris, which I think is a little less than forty miles, yeah. to yes. wherever the you know however far back the the Germans were pushed, but it can't be much more than a hundred mile front, if that. Yeah, I mean to, to the uh, sea essentially. I mean it's the race to the sea is how is how it was termed as they as they continually worked their way up through that. Well, I think he's talking about not not the extension of the front from Switzerland the to the battlefield. Sea. He's talking about at, at like Operation Michael. How close did the Germans get to Paris within shelling distance? Yes. Oh, you're, you're talking and about how early. far did they get pushed back at the end? Yeah. So he's you know he's talking about at the end it's they a got stalemate. close, yeah, and then got swept all the way back 
Yeah, if you look at the yeah the battlefield from uh, not the breadth, uh, but the depth, but the the depth Got meaning okay. the land they were fighting over, right? Uh, back and forth. That's right. And you know those guys, the, the, those general staffs, they were very much full of themselves, mm-hmm. uh, thinking they knew everything about war, uh, except for the fact they didn't know how to fight that war because it was the first modern war in, as far as weapons go. Yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't the first modern war as far as tactics. Yeah, uh, because we, we've talked about that before. Because uh, my God, think of what the world, what civil war and, would have and, been with machine guns. Yeah, and, and think about actually probably would have been that, World War One again. Yeah. The, the aircraft is fully beyond the experience of von Clausewitz. Yes. So if you're you're pulling out, like you said, cherry picking these von Clausewitz von Clausewitzian ideas, and guess what? Uh, They're airplanes don't. Yeah, they, they don't been, go they've by been this made rule. Obsolete. They, they're obsolete now. Well, and, and I, don't, I, I want to make sure we, we not airplanes, but the rules. Right. Well, yeah. airplanes are the ultimate uh, when they're first introduced, just like tanks would be. Yeah. Uh, contribute to that fog of war. Mm-hmm. Yes. There, you know, it's it's the ultimate uh, uh, X element, uh, unknown factor. Right. Yeah. Uh, that random the random elements, and see, that's what I want to make sure we we clearly lay out here is the fact that Clausewitz was not wrong. He was actually, he still was very valid in what he said, but most people misinterpreted it. Well, if they, even if they didn't misinterpret, like I was saying, you know, if you latch on to a certain part of it. That's correct, and, yeah. And you hang your hat on that. Because it is so deep. And you know, like I say, you can, you can proof text whatever the heck you want to here. Uh, because Clausewitz gets a, a bad rap at times saying that it was his ideas that led to the debacle that was World War One. It's totally false. Well... It's the cherry picking of his ideas. Exactly, because I would venture that that's how the criticism arises. I would venture those French generals and those English generals, uh, although the French led a good deal of that because we're fighting on on French soil, so of course they're going to take the lead, as well as those German generals. They latched onto that imposing our will. That's correct aspect. Yeah, and. If you think that your will is stronger than anybody else's, well, of course, I will impose my will. It's not that simple. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because there's another quotation from Clausewitz that is absolutely essential to go with that. And it is, is two forces meet on the battlefield until one of their wills breaks. Yes. That is, that is probably the most, other than the other one that we talked about, that's perhaps the most universal quotation that comes out of Clausewitz because it applies to everything. Every sports conflict, every business com- competition, everything you yes. do. Com- the, the notion of competition is important in, in all of this. That's yes. right. Is two forces meet until one of their wheels breaks. And that's all that ever happens. The reason that one side loses at a basketball game or a football game is not the score. It's because sooner or later the score is a result of the loss of will. Of the ch- or the the shift of will, right? One reach, one ascends, and one descends. But the th- and the thing that the, the generals in World War One would have missed because they're not fighting on the front lines. Generals no longer do that. That's right. And that is the skill. You know, I can take the the you know the local uh, uh, you know midget football team and 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 you know take them up against even you know the Cleveland Browns, and probably the Browns are still going to win. Uh, because they're bigger, or maybe not the Detroit Lions. No, 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 no. See, <laughs> nah, see. I was wondering if that was going to happen here. I knew yeah. that once you started, once you said Cleveland Brown says he's going to go to Detroit, isn't he? He's going to talk some smack and dang. Of you course, he is because within he's, seconds, because he's just that kind of person, oh, you know. Yes, uh, you know, there's a level of skill, not just chance and will. 
And well, that's right. The general's will might be just as strong or stronger than the German general's will, but that doesn't mean that their men that's right. are that have that same will because they're not the the generals aren't the ones that are being shelled in the trenches. That's right. It's, they're not being mowed it's, it's, down. It's a universal by will, guns. and yeah. it's uh, it's very important that we uh, that we think that way. Yes. So you've brought two concepts in that I want to keep going on. Please. So you talked about total will. Yeah. That's a Clausewitzian concept as well. The idea of it it can't just be the army's will. It becomes the whole nation's will. Because again, he is he is examining nation states. Right. That's his experience. The army is just an extension of mm-hmm. in microcosm in many ways. Yes. Uh, so that's this concept then becomes what comes to be termed total war or absolute war mm-hmm. of the entire population has to be mobilized in some sense. He's right on the edge of that, of where your your army's success in the field is directly tied to how prosperous your nation state is. If they can feed that army, if they can equip that army, while at the same time not starving the populace. Yeah, I think that is an outgrowth of the Napoleonic Wars. Because yes. right. the Napoleonic War Wars... It was the first war that was so all-encompassing. Yeah, we've talked about this in prior episodes. War before Napoleon uh, and, and sometimes after was less about uh, national I- I- interests so much as the interests of whatever prince was mm-hmm. ruling a particular country. Right. But wars were often we're going to go fight a battle. And once that battle is over, the war is over. Uh, it, you know, there were campaigns, but you campaigned in seasons, mm-hmm. and you yep. campaigned with a certain amount of time between battles. There was never a continuous uh, warfare like we see in Napoleon. Even even though our civil war is after Napoleon, it is still fought early on. That's right. Like the earlier wars. Until season, Grant. In season, until, until Grant. Until Grant. When, that's the, when there's the battle the, there's is, the change. Yes, when battle is continuous. Right. And we've been fighting that way ever since And we've been fighting that way ever since then. Yes. So the technology provides now for yes. all weather. So, Klauswitz, even though he could not have foreseen the machine gun and the tank and modern armor and airplanes, uh, you know, that idea of total war, you know, can the nation... Uh, you know, really, up until Napoleon, that wasn't a factor because your army wasn't seven hundred thousand men strong before yeah. Napoleon. That was that was massive. That was beyond massive. That's right. And you've got to be. There able were to countries that weren't that big That's that right. Napoleon marched through. Yeah. Yes. And so the whole idea that your nation has to have the will would have been unheard of because. You know, that yeah. just, it wasn't well, it just wasn't an issue. And, and that part of that is Louis the Fourteenth too. I am the state. Uh, that's also Thomas uh, Thomas Hobbes is mm-hmm. Leviathan, as in you know you have this one uh, appointed by God ruler who <laughs> is the state, yeah, and that's why those two things were synonymous. But to actually say the will of the people, yeah. which is kind of what we're saying here, yeah. for that to come to ascendancy, that's a that's a French Revolution idea, American Revolution as well. Um, that well, that slowly I don't think will of the permeates. people is the same thing as what you're talking about, though, uh, because will of the people I think implies. The people decide this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Whereas the will of the people, the nation, because uh, that takes on a bit of a different tone. The oh, will yeah, of the I'm nation a, to a... sustain the war is 
you know, can we, well, look at it this way. In Vietnam, the will of the nation was very much, yes, we can go in and win. But by 1970, the will of the nation was done. That's right. We won out. That's we right. won out. We won you know, out. We st- could we have still won? Well, yes, but we didn't want to pay the price anymore. That's correct. And that's the question: Is the country, the nation, willing yeah. to pay the price? Yeah. If you, if the will of the people breaks, then there's no longer support. Which is exactly what we're talking about. Two right. forces meet until one of their wills breaks. Yeah. It's just a question of how you define yes. they. Well, yes. So the, the, what, what is the force? Yeah. yeah. Because it's not just. It's not just, not just the, the men. Yeah. It's not just the men. It's not just the army. It's not just the rulers. I mean, Germany uh, in World War One. I, I mean, they the, their army was very committed to continuing. Yes, they had never been defeated in the battle. They never been invaded. You know, they they wanted to move on, but the life was hell in Germany. Right when yeah. people I mean, were starving they, they at were, home, that's they right. were beaten. They were after Michael. I that mean, is, let's look, don't fall into the trap. Correct. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, they lot. were. It would have been, but there are those who refused to see reality and yeah. wanted to continue, and they could have for a while. Yeah. Well, they, yes, they were beaten. Yeah, they were. Once the Americans came, there was there was absolutely no way. We we had too many men that were too fresh. Uh, you also yeah, had the same time, starving. and and they were starving. You had, yeah, you uh, had tanks. tanks introduced. That's correct. That's uh, correct. Which really. Probably they could have done it without the Americans. It just would have taken longer because tanks really was... They, yeah. they, the tank was, was really the, the deciding factor. Yeah, learning how to use a tank uh, mm-hmm. is definitely an X factor for, yeah. Yeah, for, the, the, first for the Western that, Front. The first ones that rolled off were awful, but they figured it out. Okay, fix this, fix this, fix well, this. Well, and, and they weren't used properly. They, exactly. Yeah, once they figured out that if we... Both, in, both instead of taking technology and the tactics. Yeah, mm-hmm. instead of taking 20 tanks and spreading them out over 10 miles, they took 20 tanks and they spread them out over a quarter mile. That's right, and, and stayed them. out of the villages, and stayed out of the village. Out yes, because tanks are open, open country warfare. Yeah. So the second thing that you tickled on a little bit back in there somewhere um, are the types of wars, and that's a very Clausewitzian concept it too. Is, yes. Clausewitz would say there's two. I would say there's three now that technology. Actually, I thought he talked third. about three. He did talk about three. Yes. Um, well, I think. He but there's talked about there's confusion. The war, yes. Yeah, war with about, limited aims. Right. So that's the idea of you're using all of your force, but you're using it to achieve only something limited. Right. The second is, again, this, the entirety, this absolute war, you are, you are beating an enemy until they no longer resist and they can be remade in your image. That's right. T- so total that's war or absolute, absolute war. Absolute war. Well, and then there's there's absolute war, ideal war, and real war. That's where I was. That's the, yeah. The real war is is where you actually end up. You know, which your which ideal war is one thing, the the absolute war is another, and then the reality sinks in of what you can actually achieve. Well, see, there's von Clausewitz's experience for you, and that's one yes. of the reasons that his work has endured so much is because he puts the real life. Uh, exp- he says, you know, this is theory, yeah, and it doesn't apply in certain areas. That doesn't mean it's not, you know, it's not worth knowing, because, like I say, once the shooting starts, no, no plan survives contact with the enemy, as you've said many yes. times. Well, you know, one of the things that, not to to get off of, uh, but I think one of the things that I, that makes what he writes so relevant is that he understood both success and defeat. He was captured by Napoleon's forces yes. when the yes. Prussian army was defeated. 25,000 men taken in, in basically one fell swoop because the Prussian army just disintegrated. Right. And so once, and he was actually a prisoner for a, a year, a year, year and a half, yeah. something like that. Seven, seven, uh, 1807 to 1808, but I don't know what the, the month for each one of those right. are. 
So a year-ish. So, and that's when he, of course, goes to the Russians. Because, well, if you're still fighting them, then I'm going to be Russian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, so he understood both victory and defeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And attack and defense, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, he, he was a proponent of defensive warfare, but not from a technological standpoint. Yeah. That's, but that's, uh, that'll take us down a rabbit hole. I want to go there. So before we finish up, though, guys, um, we have not mentioned bourbon because... It's a little early in the day for yes, bourbon. we're not day drinking uh, this episode. We, we, Although, I did think about bringing the smoked maple because, as I said the last time, if I were going to day drink, that would be my breakfast. It would bourbon. taste like breakfast, yeah. yeah. That, that's, I wished you had of that, and we should have bought some donuts. We'd have had a, we'd have had oh, a blast. Oh, I've already no. had donuts this Pancakes morning. and sausage go with that. Okay, yeah, that's right. Duncan's just down the street. Yeah, this is true. That's right. So, oh, yeah, I passed the Waffle House, and I thought, oh, you know what? If I just come through a little bit earlier... <laughs> Great stuff. Absolutely. So, uh, Steak and eggs, boys. Yeah. Love it. So it, it, this is a fairly early recording session here at Studio M. We are together. Again, Recording yes. in person. Yeah, you can tell. You can tell yeah. the quality of the audio is better. Um, but I am planning to pour us some bullet later. Good. I bought some soapstone cubes uh, that, that Robert here is a big proponent of. I like the steel ones best, but yes, the soapstone. I've had the steel. I don't think I've ever had the soapstone, so this is going to be a treat. The steel works longer. Okay. And that's its main benefit. Uh, The soapstone, it it doesn't retain the the, the cold or uh, it, it just... It becomes room temperature faster. I have the steel cubes at home, but you know, having recently moved, I don't know where they're at. That's one of the few things that hasn't resurfaced, so I might have to... Might have to uh, make sure I get some of those, but I like your concept of the steel ball, the big one that goes yes. drop in. That makes much more sense. I'll have yeah, to well, I think all men are fan of steel balls. But we, we sets them up and he knocks them out of the park. Come on, <laughs> so, we pitches it right over the plane. Bam, out of the out of the so, park. Yes. So we, the last time we were together, we enjoyed that bullet so much. That's what we're getting ready to pour. I think to celebrate this episode. Absolutely, we don't have to drink it to talk about it. Yes. That's right. Um, so we've got some soapstone, and, and we've got bullets, so we're going to be set here shortly, I think. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you want to wrap up? Oh, well, I think I'm heading that way. I just I wanted to clarify one thing here. Um, yes, real, the, their real war becomes two poles, is, is what Klaus Witz was driving yes. towards. Yes, yes. The war of limited objectives and the war to eliminate an enemy helpless. I added in the, and then rebuild them in our own image, because that's very much an American yes, way to that's, carry that's out correct. that third that's, thing. That, that is, it's that not is enough the, to just to destroy someone. What we would call today nation building. Well, that's, well, that's, that's Grant. Uh, it's also Lincoln, uh, because they're the ones that kind of did it first with Reconstruction in the South. And we use that same philosophy, both militarily and post-militarily, with World War II. Well, you know, and that's also a, a relatively modern concept. Um, with With... Well, modern concept yeah. in the sense that it, it, there was a, a fair amount of time where that really wasn't the aim. That was Rome. Yeah, Rome was very much where that where you yeah. see that. That's right. You assimilate. Uh, you also saw that in Persia because you know when the Persians come uh, and are stopped by uh, Leonidas, you know that that's trying to stop the and making you in, in their own image. Right. Um, but for a good part of European history. Uh, which is obviously what we're going to think of first, being yeah. uh, who we are and where we are and when we are. You know, a lot of that just wasn't, you know, you would go in, you would conquer, you would rape, pillage, and loot, and, you know, depending on whether or not the, the city surrendered uh, before they had to, uh, before the siege had to uh, tear down the walls. But, 
you would pretty much then go home. You know, it was more about acquiring their stuff. Right. Uh, with the exception of certain slivers of land, like Alsace-Lorraine. I don't know what is there, but that must be the most important piece of real estate well, in the entirety of Europe. Cheese. L- Lorraine cheese. It's, it's pretty nice. Lorraine Surely Swiss is kind of nice. they didn't fight all those battles over cheese. I know that. It's, I mean, I can see the says French... Says he who is lactose intolerant, of <laughs> yeah, course. Yeah, really. I can see the French fighting over cheese, but really, with the Germans? I mean, it must have been some great cheese. Well, maybe there's beer there, too. I don't know. Well, maybe. Um, but, you know... A good deal of when we think of European so you wars. The French and cheese. Do I? Can I just cheese eating surrender monkeys? Uh, there you go. There you uh, go. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering. Well, actually, I was kind of wondering why we didn't talk about when we we're talking about World War One and about how inept the general staff was. I'm surprised you didn't mention your famous line about uh, Sir John French wanting to move his drink cabinet so much closer to Berlin. That's yeah. That's a was that a Richard Holmes? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, was it the late was, Richard Holmes? Yes. yes. Was it really about just moving the drinks cabinet a, a few meters closer? Yeah. To, to uh, he uh, a, a great great professor of World War One. Uh, if you and you can find this on YouTube, you can find his Western Front series. They used to do it on the History Channel all the time back in the day. Uh, a genius and a giant. Uh, yeah. Of uh, I've read his book, The Western Front, that that series is based on. He was one of the most clear clear ones. If you get a chance to read him or watch it, it's worth some time. Yeah, it's a shame. We don't have more time to, to talk about Von Klaus. I really thought we'd go more into some of the things he had, um, uh, you know, some of the quotes that are famous and some of the concepts, because there is so much there. Um, you know, fog of war essentially comes from Von Clausewitz. Uh, military virtues, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to other kinds, it doesn't necessarily mean they are they're better. Uh, you know, moral forces uh, is, a, is a phrase that comes from him. It was very much an important thing to him. Um, you know his ideas on strategy and tactics and what they what they were. You know, strategy and tactics uh, was a new thing. Strategy was a relatively new term yeah. uh, at the time. You know, whereas now everybody uses strategy. Absolutely, know? it's a bit. In fact, you're not even in the business hunt if you're not thinking that way. Exactly, and a lot of that's Clausewitz because he recognized the value of that. Is it's different than tactics, and that seems odd, and obvious to us today but that wasn't always the case so many times people would get bogged down in one of the in, in the tactics they never bothered to think you know uh, it's kind of like that the first of the trinity everything yeah. was about the emotional reaction yep. and uh, and nothing ever there's no reason applied to it uh, that's one of the great geniuses of one Clausewitz is he, he's taught, taught us how to think and compete better in many ways and that's why he stood the test of time yeah so yeah, yeah, we're at fifty minutes, guys. So I think it'd be good to, to wrap right about here. But listeners, again, the reason to dig into people like this is their ideas influence others throughout the centuries. Oh yeah. And yeah. our modern world is then made by the application, correctly or incorrectly, yeah. of those ideas. Again, all the way through Eisenhower. What's Eisenhower doing in the Cold War? He's trying to demonstrate a Klaus Witzian idea that absolute war is terrible. Exactly. It, it, now it becomes nuclear, That's and it means the exactly end, of, right. end of civilization. So if if we are strong, then hopefully that deters the idea of someone. That's right. The entire concept of nuclear deterrent is Klaus Witzian. I mean that's that's where it came from, and, and Eisenhower is the one that started it. He didn't continue, you know, it continued long after him. Yes, but that's it's, if you think about it, it worked. 
uh, yes, it's kind of balancing the world on a knife's edge. We understand that, those of us who grew up during that time. Well, it also, it's one of those things that uh, is only necessary when you have opposing viewpoints that are totally, uh, totally opposed to one another. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, because Lenin, Stalin, Marx take these dialectical ideas and are accused basically of turning them on their head that politics is a continuation of war with other means. Exactly. So exactly. that when that when that value of pushing the revolution at any cost versus protecting human life, seeing that That's right. Seeing the dignity right. of human life, those those are dialectical points that can't be reconciled. That's exactly. correct. That exactly. is exactly right. And you know, glad you, you brought in my favorite phrase because, you know, it, it really, it, it, I take some small pride in the fact that it has become a hallmark of the show. Yeah. It's because it, 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 I take some small pride in it, but also because it's not mine. You know, no. I've adopted it from the church. Right. Um, but but because it's true. That's right. It's universally it's true. So at the core of... If you lose sight of that principle, then nothing else you're building on it makes it's all quicksand. Exactly. You, you it, it is. It is also. Um, it is the thing that defines to the the extent to which we are truly human. Because if we lose sight of the humanity of others, by default we have also lost sight of our own. Because exactly, you know, as we've talked about before, humanity is about relationships. Whether it's relationships with one another, or relationships with God, uh, depending on your particular primary viewpoint, but it's all about that relationship. If once people become objects, and something that is not human becomes more important, such as the revolution, you yes. turn these truisms by von Clausewitz on their head, as you were saying, yeah. and not that what he is saying is. What he has to say or what he has written is always going to be in accord with church teaching uh, or that it, the point is uh, the, uh, the greatness of humanity. But what he does recognize, though, is that people are at the core of this, mm -hmm. you know, that people are the ones who have to execute it. That, you know, the quote that I used earlier, I think that is a great example of, look, he's, he doesn't say it, but I think what he's... What's coming to me? What comes out of that is this: war is crap. You know, <laughs> hell. As Sherman war would is say. hell. Yeah. Uh, you know, nobody, nobody really likes it. Therefore, let's do it as quickly, as efficiently, as possible. Let's do it because, yes, it is politics with other means. Because, and that's I think the key to that. You know, war is not just politics by other means because war does have that political aim. Right. Because it's all about people. It's what they want, yeah. what they can get, however you want to put it. So I think without understanding humanity and how we relate to one another, you can't understand Clausewitz either. Yeah, because all of Clausewitz is, again, this very enlightenment slash humanist idea. And if you lose sight of the humanity... Right. And none of this is, it, it, it's all turned on its head. It's interesting you say that because one of the things, that it, as I was just struck here while you're saying that here, is that particular idea of war, of uh, the misappropriation of, poli of 
uh, Clausewitz's statements, wars of continuation politics by other means, that's what has taken root in our modern, modern political discourse. We talk about that you can't make peace with the devil. It's the mm -hmm. same thing. It's the same thing. In other words, right. everything is all about we will destroy you. We either, war is the same. You know, you're, you're doing that. Everything is war. Yes. As, whereas Clausewitz would say... by any means necessary. That's correct. We're at, they've made war an absolute here. Conflict as absolute. And it really, Clausewitz would say it's not supposed to be. Right. It's, it's, it's just one more tool you use if you have to. But most of the time you don't have to. And that's what people have lost sight of today. Yeah. They think that war is the only way. And again, he's he's cautioning all of this right. at a time when the weapons we know today don't exist. Mm -hmm. He's 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 cautioning and, and, and just with artillery and infantry. He's an infantry soldier. Right. He knows nothing of the airplane. He knows nothing of the aircraft carrier. Much less the nuclear weapon. And the nuclear weapon, uh, you know, artillery with a range of thirty miles. It, so if you could think about thirty miles is like five battles away. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, you, you know, you know, think battleships about how had a twenty mile range. That kind of weaponry would have been to Clausewitz, and and think about what you would have had to say about war then. So yeah, um, yeah, it's one of the great tragedies of history that he dies when he does because that he was one of those fertile minds like so many others that died too early, and you wonder what would he have said had he lived yeah. because what he did say while he lived was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Very influential, listeners. Very, very influential. It's Dig right. into this. So then that helps you to understand Von Moltke and Eisenhower and well, uh, uh, Mike Tyson. and Yeah, he's that foundational. He really is. So, Francis, what is up next time, buddy? Code of Honor is next time. You know, we've been talking. Uh, Robert, you're right. We didn't talk much about his quotations for for Clausewitz. We might have to steal some and drop those into one of our code of honors because there's so many good things there. Uh, but we're going to go back to our famous quotations, and uh, hopefully you'll learn and a few things. Sometimes not so famous. And not, sometimes not so famous, but they're always great. They're always thought provoking. They're always discussion worthy. Join us. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us. And please, remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel.